Old powers waken, shadows stir, an age of wonder and terror will soon be upon us, an age for gods and heroes. The glass candles are burning, and you're listening to the Obsidian Nights Podcast. Hello, my sweet summer children. I'm back with the juice to get you through the long night. And on today's episode of the Obsidian Nights podcast, where we go through A Song of Ice and Fire, chapter by chapter, I am joined by Melinda. Melinda, would you like to tell the people who you are and where they can find you? Yeah, I'm Melinda Murphy. Um, I'm not very active as far as like YouTube or anything like that. I don't have a channel or anything like that to promote, but I'm on Twitter as Omindy and I use um, Gray's Discord server quite a lot um, in the book club. And um, I'm always posting in there about various topics to do with Game of Thrones. Awesome. Yes. And she also did a Catelyn chapter with me back about a couple months ago in the when obsidian knights was just a newborn baby so and also about the discord if you want to join the discord i'll leave melinda's links and the discord server link in the description box so the discord server has a book club they go through the books read the books talk about the books there's like a voice server in a voice channel inside the discord and like when house of the dragon comes out They'll probably be in there after and during every episode talking shit because that's how it was during Game of Thrones. So if you want to join the Discord, the link will be in the description box. But today we are covering a very interesting chapter of a Game of Thrones, and it is John 8. So you guys know I really like Jon Snow. Um, book Jon Snow. Uh, show Jon Snow. I, I liked him up until the last season and I didn't really know what was going on with him. So the chapter opens with, are you well, Snow? Lord Mormont asked, scowling. Well, his raven scoffed. Well, I am my lord, John lied, loudly as if that could make it true. And you, Mormont frowned. A dead man tried to kill me. How well could I be? He scratched under his chin. His shaggy gray beard had been singed in the fire, and he hacked it off. The pale stubble of his new whiskers made him look old, disreputable, and grumpy. You do not look well. How is your hand? Healing. John flexed his bandaged fingers to show him. He had burned himself more badly than he knew, throwing the flaming drapes, and his right hand was swathed in silk halfway to the elbow. At the time, he felt nothing. The agony had come after. His cracked red skin oozed fluid, and fearsome blood blisters rose between his fingers, big as roaches. The master says, I'll have scars, but otherwise, the hand should be as good as it was before. So, this is a good place to start because there's a lot of misconceptions when it comes to Targaryens and fire. So, do you accept that John's a Targaryen? Yes, I'm, I definitely think that R plus L equals J. Um, I'm very much on that ba- bandwagon. And one of the things when I did first read the books 
I was really thrown. I didn't, I'd already heard about the R plus L equals J and I'd seen the show. So when I read the books and I saw his hand blistered and scarred and really he was very, very injured from this fire. I was, it confused me because I thought that that was canon. And as I went on and read and, and heard other people in the fandom talking and then heard that George had said it was what Danny did was a magical event. Mm-hmm. I knew that what she had done was very unique and one of a kind. And therefore Targaryens obviously aren't immune to fire. Otherwise you wouldn't have had um, Arian Bright Flame who drank wildfire and died. or You wouldn't have had Danny's own brother die from the, the golden crown he got, you know, so. I or, or egg, egg on yeah. summer yeah. hall, the whole summer, summer hall thing. So yeah, there's yes. definitely it definitely threw me at first, but then as I read all the books and read everything, I realized yeah, definitely he's mm-hmm. a part, but they're not immune to fire. No, they aren't. They they do like really hot, scalding baths, and I will say that they are considered more tolerant of heat. Than most people. Um, I think there's some signs of that in Duncan Egg. And we know like that they really, I think George said like they prefer hot baths and they don't get like sunburn and, and shit like that. But they're not immune to fire in, in no way, shape, or form are they immune to fire. And what the birth of dragons was, as you said, a miracle. A miracle. So John is basically talking to Lord Commander Mormon, and he's basically like um, telling him um, that you know that he's going to be wearing gloves or something. Mm-hmm. John John isn't afraid of the scars; like he doesn't really care about the scars. He's not really troubled by his hand. It's everything else that's going on that that happened. So he's like, Maester Eamon had given him milk of the poppy, yet even so, the pain had been hideous. At first, it had felt as if his hand were still aflame, burning day and night, only plunging it into basins of snow and shaped ice gave any relief at all. John thanked the gods that no one but ghosts saw him writhing on his bed, whimpering from the pain. And when at last he did sleep, he dreamt, and that was even worse. In the dream, the corpse he fought had blue eyes, black hands, and his father's face. But he dared not tell Mormont that. 100% foreshadowing that Ned's yes. about to die. Yeah, and it's it's really it's really interesting to me that he doesn't want to tell Mormont things about his dreams. Um, yeah, I wonder why I that think, is. Yeah. I mean, I feel like Mormont is pretty open to things that are happening that are, you know, unusual because even later on in the books, when they go beyond the wall and everything, he's very quick to believe things. And especially after what happens and um, what's just happened. So the fact that he doesn't want to tell him about his his nightmares or his dreams is interesting because like um, Mormont's clearly reaching out to him and trying to build this bond. But I also think um, because John is very resentful in this whole exchange, 
And the mm-hmm. part, I think the reason he doesn't understand his own anger is because um, he's angry that Mormont is not telling him everything. He's not telling him about Rob marching into the Riverlands right now. Mm-hmm. He only knows that because um, Sam told him. And so he's resentful. And so even though Mormont's about to do this really great thing and give him this amazing sword, there's an underlying um, reason behind it. They're trying to keep John like, look, stay here. I'm giving you a Valyrian steel sword. Mm-hmm. Don't do anything crazy. But it shows me that they really appreciate John and really see a lot in him, a lot of potential in him to give him a sword like that. Um, yeah. And they want to make him not do anything crazy. But it also, it just shows he's trying to build this bond. And John is so, he's so blocked by his own resentment. He just, he can't get past it. He does not want to share his dream with Mormont. He doesn't, he's very closed off. He's very yeah. He is. He is. And I don't like, I'm with you. Like, I don't get why he get why he won't tell um, Commander Mormont. Cause like, bro, like dead people just like came back to life and attacked you. And you don't want to tell them about a dream you had. <laughs> like, come on. Um, it's clearly bothering him a lot. Yeah. That bothers the dreams are the worst thing. I mean, that's really upsetting. And it, like John's going through a lot. So these whites have came back. He's had to kill one. He's burned his hand. Um, but also like he's found out that his father was arrested. The king is dead. But also like Uncle Benjamin, like I think it's in this chapter, he gets news like that they didn't find his uncle. Like yeah. they because they sent people to look for Benjamin and they still haven't found him. Right. Yeah. He's still missing. And it's been months and months. And then his own men have come back dead. Yeah. And this is like, and in this chapter, Lord Commander Mormont, like he says, you know, those whites, or he won't call them whites. He just calls them creatures. He's like, the more of them will come. Like, this is only the beginning. And he says, I can feel it in these old bones of mine. And Maester Eamon agrees. The cold winds are rising. Summer is at an end and winter is coming. Such as this world has never seen. And I like chills, chills. It's so good. good. And then like, I mean, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I just have this. I mean, a lot of people have a lot of questions about many families, many houses in this stories. But House Mormont to me is the most intriguing house because why Lord Commander Mormont joined the Night's Watch is a mystery to me. He had one heir who had no children of his own. And so he was really dependent on Jorah, you know, living and having his own children to carry on the family name, you know, putting aside his sister, you know, but Mm -hmm. it just such a in these in these houses they all want multiple children they all want multiple sons to be able to carry on the name and yet he just decided to quote unquote yeah i don't know retire to the nice watch who does that (laughs) i mean it just seemed like such an odd move and i always thought that that was because um i feel like he's very close to the north and i feel like um if as some theories stand, 
Um, Tormund, Giant's Bane, is the father of Mage Mormont's children, her daughters. Like, because wait, you know, that's a theory. It's a theory, yeah, because he's he's husband to bears. He's you know that's one of his names, <laughs> and so that's a theory. But what, what I feel like is if if he is the person that she had children with, because we don't know who the father of her children are. Mm-hmm. Um, if if she's the bear, you know he he fucked the bear, you know. Yeah. <laughs> he's, if she's the one, then maybe Tormund had been talking and telling you know, the, the Mormons about what was going on beyond the wall mm-hmm. and about things happening. And, and, um, Lord Commander Mormont felt like he needed to, to go up there. I don't know. That's just a theory. That's something I, I've thought about a lot because it seems so odd to me that Gior Mormont joined the Night's Watch, watch at all. It, it is it, odd though, because strange. for the past, couple of years well like who was before Gior Mormont Blood Raven I know um, there, there was probably somebody between Blood Raven there and was Gio. somebody because they came to Winterfell because they I can't remember his name but they came to Winterfell because um Mance Raider was in the Night's Watch at that point and came to Winterfell when John and Rob were boys and saw them playing so I mean I know that there was another Lord Commander but I can't remember who it was it does like it does like want, it does like make you raise a question like why would a high lord like in the old days like in the old days that would have been a normal thing but now it yeah. isn't like it's not the norm at all um like the only high lords on the wall at this point like it, like let's say in the beginning of a Game of Thrones, is Benjamin Stark mm-hmm. and Waymore Royce? Yeah, and they're everyone like, else is from like sons. They're not even the lord of the house, and so Gior Mormont was the lord of his house, and he just gave it up to his son and said, "Adios, I'm going to the wall. Peace out." He went to the wall, and it yeah. just it's very unusual, and I feel like if. There, I mean, that just, it's always been intriguing to me. There's and- something, I'm telling you, there's something that made him do that. Whether it is like the Tormund husband of bears theory, or if it's just something that he read in a book, or if it's some feeling that he got in his old bones, there's something that made him do that because it is super fucking abnormal. It's so, it's so strange because like, as you say, these high lords, um, they just don't, and the Night's Watch just doesn't have the reputation that it has had in centuries now. I mean, it's it's gone way downhill. And later on in this chapter, um, there's something that Eamon says to um, John when they speak. Um, I, don't, I don't. I'll go ahead and jump ahead because it's just it's it really sticks out to me, and it's talking about um, in the years when Aegon invaded and he's saying all these people never left the wall. They all stuck around. They never, you know, left the wall. They all held to their pledge. And he said, when Aegon slew black Heron and claimed his kingdom, Heron's brother was Lord commander on the wall with 10,000 swords to hand. He did not march. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's great. But 
that just means that three centuries ago, there were 10,000 Night's Watchmen. Yeah. And now there are fewer than a thousand. Yep. So and- in that time, that place is, it's just gone way downhill. And that there's a couple of things to that that um, stick out or, you know, the, the amount of people who have been, you know, leaving the Night's Watch and deserting and everything has really jumped. But also mm-hmm. just people don't respect it at all anymore. No. I was going to say, like, one of my favorite quotes about the Night's Watch is when Yorin, I think he's coming, like, he's he has Arya, and, like, a, one of them take, like, an apple out of a field, and, like, the dude's like, you guys are stealing from our field. And Yorin is like, I remember a time when the Night's Watch would be feasted from Winterfell to Dorn, and it would be an honor for them to be like stay in your your keep and now you are guys are harassing us for a wormy apple (laughs) (laughs) it's true it's like and so when you think about like the state of the night's watch and where it's at it's very unlikely that you would you would want to volunteer and join the night's watch um and mormont did like your mormont he's a big question mark to me Um, he's a huge one. So it's just interesting. And then, and, and the reason that he joined and the way that he's like, he can feel the cold and his old bones and everything. He believes in stuff that most people think are old wives tales. Yeah. I always think someone read something that motivated them because Rhaegar read some shit in a book and then was like, I need to become a knight. And my kid's going to be born under a red comet and this red comet is mine. <laughs> so I always think like they read something, they had some kind of dream, something influenced this decision. And I feel like Lord Commander Mormont being at the wall is under most circumstances, like because he believes in this type of thing is a good, I feel like he was a good commander for yeah. sure. For sure. He's definitely more open to it and it makes it it's good for the Night's Watch because they'll believe in things and not just discount feelings that they have. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it could be that Rhaegar read something from Maester Aemon in, a, you know, a, a scroll, quote unquote, from him. Um, and if he did, it could be that somehow Mormont and Eamon had a relationship before he joined the night night's watch because he's so far in the North and, you know, who knows there could be, there's a million things, but it just, it just intrigues me. Mm -hmm. It's same. Yeah. I never really thought about it though. Like why is, why would he be there? Like the other high Lord that we know of in the history timeline that we have the most recent high Lord that was at the wall was Blood Raven. And we know that he was sent to the wall. He didn't right. choose it. Yeah, he was sent there. And 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 to me, and that was even a little bit, you know, because he was supposed to be executed and then it was changed to him going to the wall yeah. with Eamon. And it just makes me think, what did they all what happened? What Kool-Aid were they all drinking? 
<laughs> some, some strong shit indeed. <laughs> so Lord Commander is like, you know, there was a raven last night or there was a letter last night and the his raven is like father father like his raven is such a bitch like it's always taunt <laughs> like it's always taunting people it's kind of awesome and especially in this chapter there's a ton of it <laughs> yes so uh, it says the Lord Commander reached up to pinch its beak shut but the raven hopped up on his head fluttered its wings and flew across the chamber to light above a window. Grief and noise, Mormont grumbled. That's all they're good for, ravens. Why I put up with that pestilential bird? If there was news of Lord Eddard, don't you think I would have sent for you? Bastard or no, you're still his blood. The message concerned Sir Barristan Selmy. It seems he's been removed from the Kingsguard. They gave his place to the black dog Clegane, and now Selmy's wanted for treason. The fool sent some watchmen to seize him, but he slew two of them and escaped. Mormont snorted, leaving no doubt of his view of men who'd send gold cloaks against a knight as renowned as Barristan the Bold. We have white shadows in the woods, an unquiet dead stalking our halls, and a boy sits the Iron Throne, he said in disgust. The raven laughed shrilly. Boy, boy, boy. Sir Barristan had been the old bear's best hope, John remembered. If he had fallen, what chance was there that Mormont's letter would be heeded? He curled his hand into a fist, pain shot through his burned fingers. What of my sisters? The message made no mention of Lord Eddard or the girls. He gave an irritated shrug. Perhaps they never got my letter. Eamon sent two copies with his best birds, but who can say? More like Picel did not deign to reply. It would not be the first time, nor the last. I fear we count for less than nothing in King's Landing. They tell us what they want us to know, and that's little enough. And John says, and you tell me what you want me to know, and that's less. <laughs> like, that's what John is thinking in his head. Yeah, he's... He's he, bitter. He's bitter. He is. And, you know, I understand because... You know, he hasn't been told about, you know, Rob from Mormont or Maester Eamon or anyone. Yeah. And he feels, you know, he feels like he should be told. But then, obviously, they have good reason. Yeah, <laughs> not, not to tell you because you're going to run away. And Sam is the one that's, like, leaking. And Sam is, like, the WikiLeaks of <laughs> Bucky of the Wall. <laughs> Sam's, like, telling Sam. Sam's telling John everything. He's like... I'm not supposed to tell you this, but he is that he is that girl. He is the one that as soon as as soon as you tell her the secret, then swear her to secrecy. She's off like, girl, I'm not supposed to say anything, but. <laughs> right. <laughs> and we like him for that. <laughs> so um, Lord Commander Mormont, um, it's like, you know, when are you going to be able to use your hand? John's like, you know, he said, I'll be able to use it soon. And he said, here, you'll be ready for this then. And then he gives him a sword. Says, John hesitated. He had no inkling what this meant. My Lord, the fire melted the silver off the pommel and burnt the cross guard and grip well. Dry leather and old wood. What could you expect? The blade now. You'd need a fire a hundred times as hot to harm the blade. Mormont shoved the scabbard across the rough oak planks. I had the rest made anew. Take it. 
Take it, echoed his raven, preening. Take it, take it. I wonder why the creepy raven is like so anxious for John to take the sword. Hmm. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he's also, I mean, I like when he, he, he like laughs when he, when Mormont's like, there's a boy sitting on the Iron Throne. And if R plus L equals J, because uh-huh. he's like, he laughed and he's like, boy, boy, boy. Yes. Well, he's looking at John and John would actually be the one sitting on the Iron Throne. And especially when they talk about kill the boy. Yes. Kill the boy and let the man be born. Yes. Yes. Um, so John takes the sword and, um, he pulls it up and he's like, the pommel was a hunk of pale stone weighted with lead to balance the long blade. It had been carved into the likeness of a snarling wolf's head with chips of garnet set into the eyes. The grip was virgin leather, soft and black as yet unstained by sweat or blood. The blade itself was a good half foot longer than those John was used to tapered to thrust as well as slash with three fullers deeply incised in the metal where ice was true two-handed greatsword. This was a hand and a halfer, sometimes named a bastard sword. Yet the wolf sword actually seemed lighter than the blades he had wielded before. When John turned it sideways, he could see the ripples in the dark steel where the metal had been folded back on itself again and again. This is Valerian steel, my Lord, he said wonderingly. His father had let him handle ice often enough. He knew the look, the feel. It is, the old bear told him. It was my father's sword and his father's before him. The Mormonts have carried it for five centuries. I wielded it in my day and passed it on to my son when I took the black. He is giving me his son's sword? John could scarcely believe it. The blade was exquisitely balanced. The edges glimmered faintly as they kissed the light. Your son, and then they talk about Sir Jorah. So I know you had some thoughts on the pale stone aspect of the sword. Did you want to yeah. talk about it? I mean, one of the things, even though I do really believe Rhaegar and Lyanna are the parents of Jon Snow, one of the things that really stand, stands out to me in this is that the pommel, I mean, the grip of this sword, um, the pommel is a pale stone it's made of pale stone and that is the tower the name of the tower that ashara dane has supposedly jumped off of and killed herself is the pale stone sword and i'm just like it just seems like such a a like a parallel yeah a parallel that i mean i have to question why that is and it makes me because it makes me think of the danes and of course the sword dawn Mm -hmm. and it's in everything that is going on north of the wall and who John is it, it for me, it calls that into question just a little bit. It puts some doubt there for me. I'm like, well, is a Chardain anything to do with John? Though? It does make me go. <laughs> I think, I think that a Chardain does have something to do with John snow for mm-hmm. in storytelling purposes, like a, a Chardain the house Dane, the sword of the morning, um, dawn, all of that is like the, the bait, I would say like, that's where George wants, like, he doesn't want, he wants it. Like when you're writing a story, like 
you want that answer to be in the story, but you don't want it to be easy. Mm. And none of none of his story is easy. Like all of it is like the fact that you can take A plus N equals J and make a theory. Yeah. That is believable. That does make you scratch your head. Like there are so many theories about so many different characters of like who they could be like Tyrion, for example, like there are so many Tyrion parentage theories that make a lot of sense. And that's because George has laid these seeds purposely to lead you down these paths that lead nowhere and but I also feel like there will be answers. All of the answers that John to John's parentage is in Dorn, is yeah. in Dorn, and House Dane is in Dorn. And I know that it is said that um, it is said that only Helen Reed knows about John. I don't believe that. I think they know in Dorn too. Yeah, I, I have the feeling. Well, at or in Starfall. In Starfall, yes. In Starfall, I think they know, and I think that that that's why that house is so mysterious overall. There's so many we don't even know their house words. Yeah, I mean, they the whole thing is very um, a blank slate. And honestly, that means George can do anything he wants with it, you know, which is kind of great. But at the same time, for us readers, it does, it kind of, we've had so many, so much time between books. <laughs> I swear we can find theories in anything. Right. And if you think about <laughs> it, like, have. If, if you think about like Starfall, so Ned, the whole thing at the Tower of Joy happens, that's in Dorne, Starfall's in Dorne. So, mm -hmm. Ned goes to Starfall. He has a baby with him because that's where he gets Wyla from, the milk mother. Yeah. From Dorne or from Starfall. And he gives Dawn back to House Dane. Now, I would think that is enough to buy a secret kept. So, I mean, even if he didn't tell them, even if he didn't tell them, they know that he's brought back Arthur Dane's sword and he has a baby because he needs a wet nurse. Yes. So even if that's all they know, that's enough to get some answers and to fill in some gaps for John. And like Edric, Edric Dane even kind of like says, or not Edric, Ned, Ned Dane. And that's another thing. Like they name one of their kids of Starfall yeah. after Ned Stark. Who killed Arthur Dane. Right. Which is insane. But yeah, so there's a lot. And even in this chapter, even in this chapter, there's a line in here that stands out to me. And I feel like it's going to pay off um, maybe in Winds or A Dream of Spring. But mm -hmm. it just says, a sword's a small payment for a life, Mormont concluded. And I feel like, for whatever reason, mm. it sounds like something to do with Dawn. Because taking Dawn back to Starfall, 
and it's it sounds like it's a small payment for a life and i'm like who's oh yeah that sounds like that's totally a parallel with um sir arthur sir arthur dane and dawn yeah and ned yes and so i feel like even in that sentence you we've got we've got multiple i mean you can just draw so many conclusions and go down so many rabbit holes with these theories, but there's also just the fact that um, George lays these seeds out there, and then he's like, "I'm going to reward the close readers, and then I'm also going to drive them crazy." <laughs> <laughs> because you yes. can come up with so many things, but I do think that that line has a parallel that will be paid off in the other books. Well, I would love to see it. And I and I do think that that's very possible because there's two Valyrian steel swords that we haven't seen yet in the series that I think we are going to see. Um, Blackfire, I think we'll see. I think definitely yeah. Aegon, Young Griff, I think he has it. I think that's what Illyrio gave them. Um, yes. But I don't like think he has it in his possession yet, but... I definitely think Illyrio gave it to John Cunnington to give to um, Aegon once he's ready. Yeah. Um, also, Dark Sister. And there are some other Valyrian steel swords floating around. Nightfall and Red Rain. Like, there's a yeah, lot of Valyrian steel floating rain. around. There's a lot. There's a lot more than we realize. But the fact... Also, just the fact that... Here's the other another thing that is really intriguing to me is how the Mormonts even have a Valyrian steel sword. How did they get one? Wasn't it wrestling an ironborn? I don't, a I wrestling match or some shit? Really? I don't know. I, I'm not even sure because if that's true, I don't remember reading that, but I that's think true, I'm just like I if I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, there was like it was like an ironborn wrestling match. I don't, <laughs> which is insane but another thing about that a life for a sword is joffrey kind of gave that cat's ball armed that guy with yes. a valyrian steel sword to kill bran to take bran's life yes and i mean there's just so much yeah there's a lot of and then and then jamie gives oath keeper to brian mm -hmm. i mean there's just there's a lot yeah, you're right. There's a lot in there. But this whole this whole thing, the fact that Jon Snow, this kid at the Night's Watch, now has a Valyrian steel sword. And <laughs> everybody else, everybody's like, you deserve that. And all that. I mean, that's amazing. It's great. But I, it really shows me, it's, it tells me how much they value him and how oh, much yeah. of a future Mormont um, sees in Jon Snow. Which is really incredible already. And then here he is all resentful and pouty. <laughs> yes. But, mm, I don't want your dumb sword. I want my dad's sword. <laughs> so um, it was called Long Claw before. And um, John keeps it. But John is like thinking about the dream that he had of the whites and like his father's eyes turning into jellied tears or some shit. Oh, his eyes that ran liquid down his cheeks like jellied tears. Ugh. Like, gosh, can you be any more descriptive? Um, so he also like, like you said, he's pouty, like 
this dude's not my father. <laughs> like Lord Eddard Stark is my father. I will not forget him no matter <laughs> how many swords they give me. Um, but he's not going to tell that. Right. <laughs> he's just thinking it in his head, you know. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> like, get out of here. I'm not doing this. So then um he goes out, he goes out and uh he like he shows like everyone his sword. I guess they all knew that he was getting the sword. Yeah. Um there was something I wanted to mention too. Go ahead. Um there's a there's a part in this when he's talking, when he's thinking about the, the white that he killed. And he says, whatever demonic force moved Othor had been driven out by the flames. And that to me parallels when Melisandre um, pushes bear six skins out of the Eagle or. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it tells me it, it makes me think, <laughs> and this is tinfoil time, put on your hat. It makes me think that it's skin changing, like whatever demonic force moved Othor. So something else moved him, was driven out by the flames. It makes me think that a skin changer, the White Walkers are probably skin changers and skin changing the Whites. And I 100% agree with you. And I feel like they can do it on that mass scale because there's no resistance there. It's yes. just, it's just a corpse. That's great. Yes. That's a great thought because it does make you wonder there's thousands of whites. Yeah. But there's no resistance. Oh, and what, when Melisandre, like I was thinking that Melisandre is going to have a big part to play or the red priest that can do what Mel did, or mm -hmm. they're going to have a big part to play or Bran is going to have a big part to play doing something like that. Because for a second, Bear loses control over all of his animals. Yes. After that happens. And he kind of like goes crazy for a minute. He goes mad. He goes mad. And I wonder if like the fiery hand is going to be, if they are the kind, if they have any of the powers of the red priests or if it's only the red priests. Um, and if they come, if she brings the fiery hand across or the other red priests across, I mean, a, a badass scene would be like Melisandra, um, Coro, <laughs> Macoro, Benero, like all these red priests just lined up on the wall. Oh, that'd be so badass! <laughs> like, bring it the fuck on! Like a battle <laughs> of the minds. Yeah. Uh, um, but see, some people were wondering, like when I. I forget who I was talking to about it like when Melisandre did that with the eagle like did Melisandre really do anything or did she just take credit for something that the wall did and I'm like hmm because well, I've heard that too because there's, there's no point of view where she even or in her point of view she doesn't talk about it mm -hmm. but I mean I feel like when Aurel was skin changing the eagle didn't he sort of spy on the wall? Yeah, I mean, he was able to fly over the wall. Okay, so I feel like... And, like, the, there are skin changers at the wall right now, like the boar, the... Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and John. I mean, the only thing is when you're on either side of the wall, mm -hmm. I mean, it's like you, you and your animal have to be on the same side, I guess. 
Because when John is separated from Ghost, he doesn't feel him when he's on the opposite side of the wall. Yep. So you have to do, that's it. So really something pushed um, Vermeer out of that eagle. And I think, I think it, I think it was Melisandre. I think it was too. No, I know people, I know people have doubts, but. I think it was definitely her. And I think it was um, definitely whatever she did was amplified by the wall. Cause she's more powerful there for sure. Yeah. And it says, I mean, if skin changers can recognize other skin changers, it makes me wonder if either she has that latent ability or if there's just something about skin changers that red priests and priestesses can can see as well. Sort of like people seeing through a glamour. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think. Yeah. I mean, I I would think because doesn't Vermeer automatically knows that John's a work. Yeah. And he's like, because he thinks he could take ghosts because that'd be a second life fit for a king Mm -hmm. and all of that. I think he knows like what he knows. He knows he's a warg because the direwolf is stalking beside him. Yeah. Like, I guess he's saying like a direwolf wouldn't be walking with just like any dude (laughs) (laughs) unless he's a warg. I mean, and, and, and we know that all the Stark children are have them. Yeah. They're all works. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, I feel like these, these guys can, if they can, I mean, John just doesn't know his abilities the way that Bran does. And that's only because Bran's been sort of taught what he is. Jojen mm-hmm. teaches him, you know, what he can. And then he's up past the wall and he's learning all kinds of things. But John, even though he feels like he's not very good at it, he actually is. Like Arya has absolutely no idea that she's a war. <laughs> no, she doesn't. And it's kind of <laughs> crazy because like, Boo, like you're warging, like she's so powerful, like she's warging from another continent. (laughs) Well, and she knows what she's seeing is real because she knows that her mother is dead because she pulled her from the river. And so she she knows what she sees is real, but she doesn't really think that that's her in Mm -hmm. that, which is, you know, the dots just haven't connected for her yet. So. These kids are like insanely powerful. Yes. So as the chapter continues, John goes outside. He has um, Longclaw, all his friends, Toad, Pip. They're all excited to see Longclaw. It's Valerian Steel. They're like really happy for John. John is kind of like ho hum emo <laughs> John. Like he kind of like gets when he goes away from them finally, like he shows it to Ghost. And he's like, this is, <laughs> this is you. This is you, ghost. And you're the one that deserves an honor, he told the wolf. And suddenly he found himself remembering how he'd found him that day in the late summer snow. They had been riding off with the other pups, but John had heard a noise and turned back. And there he was, white fur, almost invisible against the drifts. He was all alone, he thought, apart from the others in the litter. He was different, so they drove him out. That's so sad. It's so sad, but it's also so, woe is me, poor, poor. Yes. <laughs> he, he's the king of emo. <laughs> he is. like, And he gets that truly because who is the other emo king in this book? Rhaegar. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that is <laughs> a great point. Yes, because like, yeah, when Varys is, yes, I've Greg, never really thought of that. 
He get it from his daddy. <laughs> God, so moody. But that obviously attracts the women because, like, oh, he no, he's hurt. Yes, <laughs> to fix him. <laughs> oh God, we need to really stop that, y'all. We need to stop that shit. <laughs> stop it. <You> can't <laughs> so, um, Sam appears. And like he doesn't want to see the Valerian, so like he's already seen Heartsbane, so yeah. he doesn't really want to see. Like he's not interested. He's like Maester Aemon wants to see you, and John's like, "Fuck, does he want to see me for? Like it's not time for my bandages to be fixed up." Like, and Sam looks around and <laughs> he's like, "John's like, you told him, didn't you? You told him that you told me." And John, Sam's like, I, he, John, I didn't want to. He asked, I mean, I think he knew. He sees things no one else sees. <laughs> like, he just starts <laughs> rambling. He says he sees things no one else sees. And John's like, he is blind. <laughs> He's blind. <laughs> He's blind. What are you talking about? So John is kind of like upset with Sam. Um, and he goes and he finds Maester Aemon and Maester Aemon's in the rookery feeding the ravens. And Maester Aemon's just like um, tells Clytus to give John the bucket and let John assist him. So John starts like tossing the meat into the cages. And then we get this awesome like it. I wouldn't say this is the start of their friendship of their of. Mr. Eamon being like a true mentor to John because that started when John went into Mr. Eamon's chambers about Sam. Yes. In my in my opinion. Um you agree? <laughs> I agree because like he, I think Eamon saw the real potential in John then. Oh, and one of the things like I want to talk about is we don't have to talk about it long, but I just want to point it out. Um these ravens eat meat. Commander Mormont's raven doesn't. Commander Mormont's raven eats fruit and corn. And Maester Eamon said he's a rare bird. But if ravens eat meat, it's kind of funny because the ravens that Bran interacts with eat corn. That's a great point. So is it the same type of raven? Because I I 100% think that Raven is being skin changed. And they become vegan. Yeah. (laughs) They don't need to to eat meat. (laughs) Well, it is interesting because you're right. Because in Bran, when he's climbing the tower, he always takes corn. Mm -hmm. And, ooh, I have not thought about that. Yeah. He says he is a rare bird. And I'm like, hmm. And it says um, most ravens will eat grain, but they prefer flesh. It makes them stronger. And I fear they relish the taste of blood in that they're like men and like men, not all ravens are alike. And when they say like men, I definitely think that they're being worked by like some children of the forest type of creature, because when we are in blood ravens cave, there's like a children of the forest, just like a child of the forest, just chilling in the tree, warging into something. What is he warging into? Yeah, I've all I've often thought that too. I've, I've thought either they are um, warging 
Okay, I have this whole theory. The direwolves? Please no, I have, <laughs> I have this whole theory about the White Walkers. Ooh. I, I feel like, and it's not totally fleshed out, no pun intended, but I feel like the White Walkers are the equivalent of Melisandre's shadow baby. Ooh. Because, and, and just it, the inverse. Mm-hmm. So, um, because they, they move across things and they don't even break the, the ice on the ground, the crust of the snow. They're so light and they ever, they're called shadows, white shadows all the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, if they are some sort of shadow baby going around being sent out and that's how they kind of appear. Um, it, it would make sense to me that, you know, somebody is warging into the shadow mm-hmm. and their skin changing into the shadow, which could be what those children of the forest are doing in, in the caves and the tunnels that they're, that leaf says, do not go into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, y'all shouldn't go traveling around. We don't know our ways around. And yet you have all these other, um, also they're male, mm-hmm. um, just these other children down there who are, he thought were dead, but they were actually alive, just dreaming. And it, and Bran even says, you know, he has to be careful. He'll be, he'll go dreaming into death because he can't tell the difference between dreaming and being awake anymore. So I'm like, to me, that kind of alludes to the fact that you could dream into death, meaning death, meaning white walkers and whites and all that. So I have this, this, that, that kind of theory in my head about what they're doing down there, but they could also be the ones that are working or skin changing into these Ravens, because there's definitely something that um, got Cersei's attention. Cause friend says, I must have thinks he must've made a noise because suddenly Cersei sees him out that tower window and says, you know, um, that he's spotted them, but out of nowhere, out of nowhere. <laughs> I feel like, you know, definitely that was some old God stuff happening. hundred percent. Yeah. And so in those, as you say, they, they eat corn. So that to me is another thing. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot there. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> girl, I can get off into some tinfoil. <laughs> oh, me too. Me too. Um, I wanted to talk about this speech because I feel like this is, I love Maester Eamon and I will go to my death. I will die on this hill that I feel like it is a travesty that Danny never got to meet Maester Eamon, never got to get counseled by him and guided by him because he is an incredible human being. Just the knowledge that he has alone. But yes. I oftentimes wonder if he knew anything more about John than what he let on. If he had any inkling, because there's no way that Rhaegar didn't tell Maester Aemon something. Talk about Maester Aemon and Rhaegar having this relationship. And we know that they talked as recent as his the birth of baby Aegon and he was just a newborn like he was just not even a year old yeah that's a good point because and and 
the way that John behaves, his sort of his mannerisms and everything. I, I know that Maester Amon is is blind, but clearly he's picking up on something in John because he obviously values John a lot to kind of bring him up and give him this whole speech um, and tell him, you know, to, you know, give him this whole thing and then tell him who he is and tell him about his history. So maybe you're right. Yeah. And then Sam had just told him before he went in there, he sees things that others don't see. Yes. (laughs) Well, and that, and then, and in this, what's really funny. um, There's a part where, it says Maester Amon turned his head and looked at him with those dead white eyes. It was as if he were saying right into his heart, John felt naked and it's exposed. And it's really funny because he just said to Sam, he's blind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now he's feeling that very same thing that Sam obviously has felt. And, but- and I like, I'm in the camp that Rhaegar chose the name Amon for John. Like Rhaegar and Lyanna chose the name. I hundred and thirty thousand percent do not believe John's real name is Aegon. I think that is so stupid. So dumb. There's never ever been an instance in Targaryen marriages where siblings were named the same thing. And almost every time there's an Aegon, there's a brother named Aemon or Aemond. Yeah, that's true. And like, and Eamon was such an influence on Rhaegar because he, they stayed in touch. They corresponded and, Mm -hmm. you know, Rhaegar believed that he was the prince that was promised. And he believed that the comet, when he conceived Aegon, the real Aegon, um, meant that he was actually the prince that was promised. So it would make sense that he would want to name his child after someone he loved so much. Yes. And Eamon knew all of this stuff. Like Eamon even says it like when he's dying on the cinnamon wind, like what fools we were to think we knew so much. <laughs> and we like we got the translation wrong when he's saying it's Daenerys. Like it's it wasn't Rhaegar. It wasn't Aegon. It was Daenerys. It's Daenerys. You know, what's so sad about that. You know, it is so sad that he died knowing about Daenerys. But never getting to meet her. Never getting to meet her. But the fact that he did get to mentor a Targaryen. even Whether he knows it or not. Yeah. I mean, that's beautiful. But it just sucks that he had to learn right before he died about (laughs) Daenerys. It's like, no. (laughs) So Maester Aemon asks John, John, did you ever wonder why the men of the Night's Watch take no wives and father no children? Maester Aemon asked. John shrugged. No. He scattered more meat. The fingers of his left hand were slimy with blood and his right throbbed from the weight of the bucket. So they will not love, the old man answered, for love is the bane of honor and the death of duty. That did not sound right to John, yet he said nothing. The maester was a hundred years old and a high officer of the Night's Watch. It was not his place to contradict him. The old man seemed to sense his doubts. Tell me, John, If the day should ever come when your Lord Father must needs choose between honor on the one hand and those he loves on the other, what would he do? John hesitated. He wanted to say that Lord Eddard would never dishonor himself, not even for love. Yet inside, a small sly voice whispered, he fathered a bastard. Where was the honor in that? And your mother, what of his duty to her? He would not even say her name. 
He would do whatever was right, he said, ringingly, to make up for his hesitation, no matter what. So I just want to talk about Ned for a second. This right here should tell us everything we need to know about R plus L equals J. We have seen this man, Ned Stark, hopelessly fail in King's Landing because of how honorable he is. So there is no way that he would have fathered a bastard. And secondly, had he fathered a bastard, there is no way that he would have kept her a secret and he would not have done his duty with her as far as in taking care of her. And if R plus L equals J is true, then that fits Ned's true nature, which is where, um, and your mother, what of his duty to her? He will not even say her name. What of his duty to John's mother? His whole life, he's, since John's been born, Ned has filled, fulfilled his duty to Liana with the whole promise me Ned thing, keeping John safe, not even telling his own wife who John is. Yes. And, and the fact that no one questions the, him going down to Dorne and coming back with a baby and questions the fact that Rhaegar and Liana, he was supposed to have raped Liana multiple times, never even considered that that could be Liana's baby because Ned is such an honorable man that he tells the truth always. Right. And that here he is. I mean, people don't even question it, which seems like a real plot hole, but actually they don't question it because Ned is so honorable. They can't imagine him lying about the parentage. And he mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. He says, he says John is his when actually it's Liana's. Yeah. Cause he's not, that type he's the honorable lord ned stark he's not gonna lie and he's not gonna but like he's keeping his duty he's keeping his duty to his dead sister he's keeping his duty to his nephew to keep him alive and like even rhaegar doesn't have a reputation of someone that would rape and murder liana so it's like None of it makes sense. Like, yeah, it, and he doesn't hate Rhaegar. He has only like positive thoughts about Rhaegar. When he does yeah, things. it's never like like Robert Baratheon when he thinks of Rhaegar, he just gets murderously angry. Oh and- my god, I seen this meme of Robert Baratheon, and it was like had Robert Baratheon laughing really loudly and like hard, and it was like. <laughs> This is Bobby B watching House of the Dragon of all the Targaryens killing each other. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's so on brand for Bobby B. <laughs> it would be. He's like, yeah, this is great. He would tune into that shit every Sunday or whenever it's going to be on. <laughs> that would be amazing. Yes. I mean, because like, yeah, that's the anger. That's the level of hate and anger and vengeance that Ned should feel. But he doesn't. He doesn't have any of those feelings towards Rhaegar. He just thinks to himself, Rhaegar probably never, you know, went to brothels. You know, like, yeah, <laughs> like, what? <laughs> really? The one that raped and murdered your sister? And I think yeah. Barristan kind of says, like, Rhaegar loved his lady, Liana. And I'm like, mm. I mean, and if even even Barristan does it, you know what I mean? Like, it. So it wasn't unknown. It's just like some some people want to live with the anger. So I think 
the easier thing for Robert to believe is this woman, I'm look, I'm Robert Baratheon. I'm a I'm what built like a maiden's fantasy or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. A horned god. <laughs> a horned god. This one obviously Liana would want me, you know. I think that it wouldn't occur to him that she wouldn't want to marry him. Yeah. He's so he was, you know. I found it so hypocritical though when they were like when Liana's like, I don't want to marry him. He already has a bastard in the veil. He'll never keep what to one bed, but the married prince with two kids. <laughs> you know, bring it on. Bring it on, daddy. I mean, I, I find that hypocritical, like to like that comparison. But at the same time, it's Rhaegar Targaryen. <laughs> yes, it's Rhaegar Targaryen. And it's her preference. Like whatever she wants is, is what she wants. And I think I think that um I think Liana is is because she's so young and he, you know, he's the prince and he's so handsome and blah 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 and mysterious and everything. I think there's a lot of that going on, but I think also <laughs> there's a if you want some tinfoil, I can give you some more tinfoil. <laughs> Like you better get out your Reynolds wrap because it's like some heavy tinfoil. But like Alia and Oberyn, they were close as Cersei and Jamie, is what Oberyn says. We were as close as they and I'm like, I mean, how close were you? And was Rainey's she smelled Dornish? Like, oh, was she was she smashing Oberyn? That's what I'm wondering. And I'm wondering. I sort of wonder if if that would be the the loophole is like Rhaegar found out that that wasn't his child. You know what I mean? And he I, had reason. I honestly think that Rhaegar just wanted two wives. Yeah. Like he needed a third child mm-hmm. and Elia couldn't have any more children. So he got another wife, Aegon the Conqueror. He had two wives. So why can't I? Well, and I also think, and here's here's another thing that I have thought before is like, I think Rob was the for, was supposed to tell us about Liana because if Liana found out about her her dad and her brother and was so bereft, mm-hmm. and Rhaegar comforted her the same way that Jane Westerling comforted comforted Rob, and then he mm. married her. If she was so bereft and then sort of they fell in to bed together, basically, because he was comforting her, you know, and she was just upset. And then he felt like they got married and then they got married because of that, because he had to marry her. Mm -hmm. You know, that could have been something. That really could have been the case. I lean more towards Rhaegar is moved by prophecy. Mm -hmm. And I think the ghost of High Heart told him some shit. Like I had this video about the ghost of high heart about um barristan selmy says that rhaegar came back um he would go to summer hall it was the place he loved most and he would come back with songs about the death of kings so ghost of high heart all of her prophecies that she gives the brotherhood are about death of kings baylor's death Joffrey's death, Rob's death, uh, Renly's death. Like she tells of all those deaths. So I think for a while, because the Ghost of High Heart also says that she gorged on grief mm. at Summerhall. Yeah. 
Um, I think for a while she stayed in Summer Hall. And I think um, when they say Rhaegar went there with only her, his harp, what do you pay the ghost of high heart for prophecy? What do you pay her with? Songs. So he would go there and play songs for her and she would tell him her dreams. And she put Liana in his mind. There is a girl, Stark girl, da 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 da. Because when she sees Arya, she fucking loses it. Like she's shaking. She's mm-hmm. like terrified of Arya. She calls her dark heart. She says, I've gorged on grief at Summer Hall. I need none of yours. But Arya is said to look like Liana. So I think that is all connected. But I mean, I think that the only problem, and I think that that's all true, but the only problem I have with that is that Liana is such an independent thinker. I don't, unless he really did kidnap her, which. No, I don't think, I don't think he kidnapped her. I think she believed it too. Oh, okay. I think she was on board. Like I, I think she like, I think they honestly like fell in love with each other. But I don't think, like, the mystery night made him fall in love with her. And I don't think the, like, I don't think all of this just happened at the tourney of Hall. I think something was going down before that. For him to so boldly walk past his wife and put the, the winner's crown of blue roses. Mm-hmm. And, like, think about that as well. The crown had to be made of winter roses, which happens to be Liana's favorite flower. Like all this had to be like pre in the works, I think. That's true. I mean, like he had to have known that the queen of love and he had to win the tourney, which I also think was staged (laughs) because he didn't normally really enter them. He just wasn't big on all of that but this one he did he was and remember remember when robert is going in the melee and they're like why would you enter the melee no one's gonna like hit you back no one's gonna risk harming you so it's the same for it's the same for the prince yeah exactly they're not gonna risk it he's like you think they're gonna throw it and he's like yeah they're gonna throw it of course they're gonna throw it it's the same thing embarrassed and sell me he talks about, yeah, you're right, because he talks about, like, if I had been a better knight, that I would have won that and given it to a Chardain and all this stuff. But that that quote, if I had been a better knight, can read two ways. It could be uh, better at, in my skills or better in keeping, you know, my honor by really playing to my skills and using my skills to win this turning instead yeah. of just letting. So it could read both ways. There's no way Rhaegar beat Arthur Dane. Please. I <laughs> Please, like Rhaegar is a lot of things, but <laughs> warrior. No, I mean he was good, but these Bears and Selmy and Arthur Dame in their prime were just like unbeatable. Yeah, they were unbeatable. And like, like Ned only killed him because it was a dishonorable act. I'm sure. I'm sure that like that Helen Reed saving his life shit. Mm-hmm. Is kind of what happened in the show. It was shady, yeah. Something was shady there because something happened that Hall Hall and Reed intervened in some way. I agree. Yeah. 
So <laughs> back to what Mr. Eamon was saying, because we would, we've been all the way to Heron Hall, like, <laughs> it's, <laughs> like 30 years ago. <laughs> well, what? not that long ago, 16 years ago. Well, it's long ago, though. But one of the things I was going to say, though, in this chapter, in the chapter before, mm-hmm. um, that feeds into the R plus L equals J, though, is the fact that Ghost brings the hand of J for flowers to Jon Snow. And I always think that that's interesting because it's flowers. He's giving flowers. Oh, yes. I never I never picked that up. That is very yeah. interesting. I mean, I just, I always thought that. I think that that's... I think that's <laughs> Ghost crowned him the king of love and beauty. <laughs> Here's your dead hand. <laughs> I, mean, I love it. Hand, but, you know. And his father's about to be a dead hand. Yes. That's also foreshadowing. Yes. <laughs> flowers. I mean, it's like poor John. <laughs> yes. When John says he'll do the the right thing no matter what, Maester Amon's like the Lord Eddard is a man in ten thousand. Most of us are not so strong. What is honor compared to a woman's love? What is duty against the feel of a newborn son in your arms or the memory of a brother's smile? Wind and words, wind and words. We are only human and the gods have fashioned us for love. That is our great glory and our great tragedy. The men who formed the Night's Watch knew that only their courage shielded the realm from the darkness to the north. They knew they must have no divided loyalties to weaken their resolve. So they vowed they would have no wives nor children. Yet brothers they had, and sisters, mothers who gave them birth, fathers who gave them names. They came from a hundred quarrelsome kingdoms, and they knew times may change, but men do not. So they pledged as well that the Night's Watch would take no part in the battles of the realms it guarded. They kept their pledge. When Aegon slew Black Heron and claimed his kingdom, Heron's brother was the Lord Commander on the Wall, with ten thousand swords to hand. He did not march. In the days when the seven kingdoms were seven kingdoms, not a generation passed that three or four of them were not at war. The watch took no part. When the Andals crossed the narrow sea and swept away the kingdoms of the first men, the sons of the fallen kings held true to their vows and remained at their post. So it has always been for years beyond counting. Such is the price of honor. A craven can be as brave as any man when there is nothing to fear. And we all do our duty when there is no cost to it. How easy it seems then to walk the path of honor. Yet sooner or late in every man's life comes a day when it is not easy. A day when he must choose. Gosh, I just got the chills reading this. One of my favorite speeches. Um, (laughs) And John is like, well, is this my day? Is that what you're saying? Maester Eamon turned his head and looked at him with those dead white eyes. It was as if he were seeing right into his heart. John felt naked and exposed. He took the bucket in both hands and flung the rest of the slops through the bars. Strings of meat and blood flew everywhere, scattering the ravens. They took to the air, shrieking wildly. The quicker birds snatched morsels on the wing and gulped them down greedily. John let the empty bucket clang on the floor. The old man laid a withered spotted hand on his shoulder. It hurts, boy, he said softly. Oh, yes, choosing. It has always hurt and always will. I know. You don't know, John said bitterly. No one knows. Even if I am his bastard, he's still my father. Maester Eamon sighed. Have you heard nothing I've told you, John? Do you think you are the first? He shook his ancient head, a gesture weary beyond words. 
Three times the gods saw fit to test my vows. Once when I was a boy, once in the fullness of my manhood, and once when I had grown old. By then, my strength was fled. My eyes grown dim, yet that last choice was as cruel as the first. My ravens would bring the news from the south, words darker than their wings. The ruin of my house, the death of my kin, disgrace and desolation. What could I have done? Old, blind, frail. I was helpless as a suckling babe, yet still it grieved me to sit forgotten as they cut down my brother's poor grandson and his son and even the little children. John was shocked to see the shine of tears in the old man's eyes. Who are you? He said quietly, almost in dread. A toothless smile quivered on the ancient lips. Only a maester of the Citadel, bound in service to Castle Black and the Night's Watch and my order. We put aside our house names when we take our vows and don the collar. The old man touched the maester's chain that hung loosely around his thin, fleshless neck. My father was Makar, the first of his name, and my brother Aegon reigned after him in my stead. My grandfather named me for Prince Aemon, the Dragon Knight, who was his uncle or his father, depending on which tale you believe. Aemon, he called me. Aemon Targaryen? John could scarcely believe it. Once, the old man said, once. So you see, John, I do know. And knowing I will not tell you to stay or go, you must make that choice yourself and live with it all the rest of your days as I have. His voice fell to a whisper, as I have. First thing I want to point out is this fucking line. My father was Makar, the first of his name, and my brother, Aegon, reigned after him in my stead. My grandfather named me for Prince Aemon the Dragon Knight, who was his uncle or his father, depending on which tale you believe. Yes. (laughs) That's more foreshadowing that John is John's real name is Amen. John says, I think it's in a very early chapter, a John chapter. He talks about him and Rob playing and Rob will be like, I'm Florian the fool. And John would be like, I'm Amen the dragon knight. And then there's a tale like Amen the dragon knight. They don't know if his uncle is his father or his father is his father. So it's like two different versions, kind of like how Ned, um, is Ned John's uncle or his father, depending on which tale you believe. <laughs> so mm-hmm. there's that. But also we find out that Eamon is Rhaegar's great uncle. And Eamon has been tested three times. I don't know what the first test was. I feel like the second one was Summerhall. Yeah. When Egg egg died and duncan the tall died and the third one was the wipeout of house targaryen but i don't know what the first one was i kind of want to know could it be the first one was summer hall and the second one was when he was offered the crown oh oh yeah that could be and then the third one's definitely like when he was old and his, and the when when he talks about he had tears in his eyes when he was talking about the little children and not realizing that John was one of the little children. Mm-hmm. Well, little children. I love this speech 
I think this speech is going to shadow heavily over John's entire arc. I do mm-hmm. think he's going to have to choose. I think he's had to choose a lot already. Um, But John's story also mirrors Maester Eamon's story. When um, Maester Eamon says, uh, my ravens would bring the news from the south, words darker than their wings, the ruin of my house, the death of my kin, disgrace and desolation. Hmm. And it makes me it makes me wonder because he does mirror Maester Amon. Mm-hmm. It makes me wonder if Amon actually either tried to flee at one point, or um, or was you know kept from leaving. Maybe when Summer Hall happened, maybe he tried to go. I don't know. It mm-hmm. just makes me wonder if he he also did that. And I could. I could definitely see him trying to stop Egg from yeah. or Aegon from trying to do because I really think he tried to hatch dragons and he mm-hmm. messed up. Like he and Maester Aemon says that my brother used to dream of dragons and dragon dreams are like they killed them everyone. Yeah, like they're no good. But that is John Eight. Did you have anything you wanted to add that we didn't talk about? I think we talked about like everything. And some. <laughs> You're going to have to edit this a lot. I'm not editing it. It's staying <laughs> just like it is. I will edit out the mistakes, but I want it all in there because I think it's all good. Well, no, it was great. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Awesome. I'm glad you came. Can't wait to record with you again. And thanks to everyone that's listening. And if you are listening to this on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, please give this a rating and a review. Let me know how I'm doing. It also helps me get found in the search so more people can find Obsidian Nights. And if you want to sign up to do a chapter of Obsidian Nights, all you have to do is contact at Nimshadow on Twitter or Instagram, and she will schedule you for an episode of the Obsidian Nights podcast. Thanks again for coming, Melinda. And as always, thanks for listening. Have a good day. Bye.